This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Good morning and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 239, entitled, Who is the Seed of Abraham? Yes, we are continuing our studies at looking through the various messianic prophecies within the Hebrew Bible. These are passages in which ancient and modern readers have detected a foretelling of the coming Messiah, God's anointed king, the king of the kingdom of God. And we're looking at these passages to discern what they can actually tell us about the identity of the Messiah, his relationship to Israel's God, his humanity, his role, his functions, all of these great things. So in this week's episode, we're going to look at another passage that's regarded by many as a messianic prophecy, and this is the promise concerning the seed of Abraham. Now this promise appears repeatedly in the Old Testament, but it shows up primarily in the book of Genesis. That makes sense because that's the book in which Abraham is alive and God is speaking with Abraham. So we're going to focus our attention, at least initially, in the book of Genesis, but we'll look at quite a few other places, especially within the New Testament, to see how those authors interpreted the promises given to Abraham concerning his worldwide family, his seed, his descendants. So here are some of the questions I would love to explore in this week's episode. First, what was the original promise made to Abraham, and how have interpreters sought to make sense of its wording? Second, what difficulties are raised with the definition of seed? Third, in what way is Jesus included into the family promised to Abraham, and what does this say about his authentic humanity? And lastly, who was the first New Testament author to directly attribute messianic status to the, quote, seed of Abraham, end quote? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the seed of Abraham and God's blessing. So the passage we'll begin looking at today is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. So I'll be reading out of the New American Standard Version, and that'll be important because the translation of one of the words at the end of this passage is open to a little bit of dispute. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And anyone introduced 
to this particular passage at the undergraduate level of biblical studies, learns very quickly that Abraham is promised three things. He is promised the land, the land that Yahweh is going to show him. He has promised descendants, namely a great nation is going to come forth from him and all the families of the earth being blessed because of this. And thirdly, a blessing in particular. God is going to bless Abraham and in Abraham or through Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So you have the land, you have the descendants, and you have the family. Now I mentioned that I read this out of the New American Standard Version and out of the other modern standard English versions of the Bible. And by standard versions, I mean versions that have that big S in it, like the NASB, the New Revised Standard Version, the English Standard Version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. These standard versions attempt to be fairly literal in their translation, which is why I tend to prefer those English translations over others. So these standard versions will all more or less translate this third verse basically the same way, because the controversial phrase is this phrase at the end of verse 3, in you, that is in Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And it's that verb to bless. The verb to bless is, at least in these English translations, understood in the passive sense. The families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is how the Greek translator of Genesis, who translated into the Septuagint, understood the verb. The verb is pressed into the Greek language in the Septuagint in the passive, the Greek being evev loyi thi sonte. You can hear the passive there, the thi there. However, some prominent Jewish interpreters, such as Rashi and even the modern JPS Tanakh translation, have actually understood the verb to bless as a reflexive. And the reflexive would be that all the families of the earth would bless themselves. So when you look at the Tanakh translation, which is 12.3, it says that all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. They understand the verb to bless there in the reflexive sense. The subjects there are blessing themselves. It's reciprocal. Now, it's interesting that while this is a pretty prominent Jewish interpretation, not all modern Jewish scholars take it. One of the interesting things is that Nahum Sarna's commentary, which is in the JPS Torah commentary series, which actually uses the Tanakh translation at its base, still has Dr. Sarna favoring the passive interpretation. So even though the Tanakh translation is used in that particular commentary, in Nahum Sarna's own commentary on the passage, he actually prefers the passive sense. Whatever the case may be, the point is that Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, has Abraham, and he has promised land, he has promised descendants, and he has promised a blessing. Even though the specifics of the blessing might be called into question, what is absolutely certain is that Abraham is promised 
this worldwide family. Descendants. He's promised members of the human race to descend from him as an ongoing family. Now, this passage gets repeated in a variety of ways within the book of Genesis, but the promise gets solidified to refer to specifically a seed, the seed of Abraham at the time of the sacrifice of Isaac, that is Genesis chapter 22. So let's look at this passage to see how the promised Abraham and that his seed would be coming forth from him appears within Genesis. So Genesis 22 verse 16 says, By myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. That's Genesis 22, verses 16 through 18. And there, the final verse, verse 18, says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. There again, the passive voice used with the verb to bless. But now we have a particular seed. Now, we mentioned in our previous episode, when we were looking at the seed of the woman, that there's some ambiguity with the word seed, because seed is a collective noun that primarily refers to descendants. It is a collective referring to multiple persons, to all of the descendants of Abraham. But it gets referenced as the word seed, the Hebrew noun zerah. But some people have assumed that this, if it's a messianic prophecy, is referring to seed as in one particular person, one particular individual. Now, it'd be difficult to draw that conclusion simply by reading Genesis 22:18 or even Genesis 12, but we're going to see that in the New Testament, there were some interpreters that took that particular line. But as we'll see in the New Testament as well, it's not an either-or. It's not that you have to choose as to whether these promises regarding the seed of Abraham refer to a collective group of descendants or it refers to one single individual, the messianic seed of Abraham, namely Jesus Christ. It's not an either-or thing. It seems that the New Testament writers have kind of a both-and thing. But let's see how this works out. So I'd like to move to the New Testament to look at that particular evidence. So that moves us to our second point. Point number two, the seed of Abraham within the New Testament. Now, one of the interesting things that I note with this data is that it seems that the most common and natural reading of the seed of Abraham picked up by the various New Testament authors in their own ways seems to regard seed in the collective sense of multiple descendants in reference to Abraham's family. So let's look at some of this evidence. So in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, verse 25, this is in the speech of Peter. He says, talking to his Jewish listeners, 
It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Acts 3, verse 25. And here we have a reference to the promised seed that's made to Abraham. In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed, directly citing there from Genesis as we already read. But the reference in the context clearly refers to the Jewish listeners. You are the sons of the prophet and the sons of the covenant which God made to your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed. So Peter here in this sermon, but it's technically the theology of Luke, the evangelist, is regarding the seed of Abraham collectively, referring to Abraham's family, multiple persons. Let's move to Paul. In Romans chapter 4, in verse 16, Paul says, For this reason is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Romans 4.16 Now, the translation that the English has here says that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, but in Greek, it is to all the seed. Ponti to spermati, to all the seed. Now, even the English translator knows that this singular reference to seed needs to be translated as descendants, and the context is pretty clear that all of the seed is clearly a reference to multiple persons. And Paul defines all of the seed as not only those who are of the law, namely Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So clearly here the reference to the seed, the promised seed of Abraham, is a reference to multiple persons, Jews and Gentiles, who are of faith. Abraham functioning as the father of us all. This is the worldwide family that was promised to Abraham. So it's not a messianic interpretation, at least in this passage. Later in Romans, Paul identifies himself as a descendant of Abraham. In Romans 11, verse 1, Paul says, I say, then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. That's Romans 11, verse 1. And so we see in the English here that Paul describes himself as a descendant of Abraham, but in the Greek, it is ek spermatos avraam. Paul is a descendant, namely a seed of Abraham. He is of the seed of Abraham. So he identifies himself as that. Paul clearly doesn't think he is the Messiah, but He's still regarding seed of Abraham as this collective reference to Abraham's family consisting of multiple persons. Paul's able to attribute the reference to seed of Abraham even to his Jewish opponents. In 2 Corinthians 11.22, Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. 2 Corinthians 11.22. 
So Paul describes his Israelite Jewish opponents as the seed of Abraham, the sperma of Ra'am. And then Paul also thinks that he himself is that. Clearly he is, because he is a Jew. He is a physical descendant of Abraham. But he's still describing this seed of Abraham, this sperma Avraham, as a reference to a collective group of people, to multiple persons. In the book of Hebrews, there's also a reference to the seed of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 15, it says that Jesus might free those who fear death that are subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. So here we have the contrast of help that's not being given to angels, but help is given to the descendant of Abraham, to the seed of Abraham. Well, who is the seed of Abraham in the context? Who are those who are in need of help? Well, clearly, it's the people that need to be freed from the slavery of their lives, and they are being freed from the fear of death. That is in reference to the people that need to be redeemed. That's in reference to humanity, to the flesh and blood members of the human race. It's not a reference to Jesus. Jesus is the one who frees those people. Jesus is the one who offers the help to these people. So these people are the descendant of Abraham. They are the seed of Abraham. So the New Testament primarily understands the seed of Abraham to refer collectively to this race of persons, this family promised to Abraham. Now, there are some New Testament authors that do regard Jesus as the descendant of Abraham. So let's look at those. The best place to identify this is in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. This brings us to our third point, Jesus as the descendant of Abraham in the genealogies. So Matthew has a massive genealogy at the beginning of his gospel, and the opening verse is very telling. In Matthew 1.1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So here, Jesus is described with the title, Son of Abraham. Now, this is not the seed of Abraham, but clearly it is the very specific son that is promised to Abraham in the same way that the son of David is a messianic title that is promised to David. Now, David, of course, had many sons, and Abraham, of course, had many sons, but there's certainly a sense here in Matthew to where Jesus is kind of the definitive son of Abraham, the climactic son of Abraham, which bears messianic significance because he is Jesus the Messiah. He is Jesus the anointed king. And then Matthew goes on and tells us how, in fact, Jesus is the son of Abraham. And it does so by tracing Abraham's family and lineage. So in Matthew 1-2, it says that Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, 
Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And it goes on and on and on for like 40 names to all of the way you get down to Matthew 1.16, where it says that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom, or in the Greek, out of whom, Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So Matthew is very diligent to trace Jesus' lineage as one who descends from this long line beginning from Abraham and all of his descendants, 40 plus descendants. So Jesus is the final son of Abraham in this particular genealogy because Jesus' genealogy. And so this would indicate that like all the other descendants of the human being Abraham, like Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Joseph, and Mary. Jesus is also a human being. So for Jesus to be the son of Abraham means that he is a human being like Abraham. He's a member of the human race. He's a, he's a man, not an angelic being dressed up like a man or a spirit being that takes on flesh or a member of the Godhead that takes on flesh. Jesus is a bona fide member of the human race, just like you and me. Now Luke also is able to trace Jesus back to Abraham, but the language of Jesus being the specific son of Abraham only seems to appear in Matthew. So in Luke 3.23, it says that when he, Jesus, began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, son of Eli, and the genealogy continues and it counts backwards. It works backwards from Jesus to Joseph to Eli. It just keeps going and going and going for 12, 13 verses. It goes all the way back. Then you get to Luke 3:34, and it goes all the way to Abraham, the son of Abraham. So both Matthew and Luke in their genealogies indicate that Jesus is the human descendant of Abraham. Jesus doesn't pre-exist Abraham. He is the one who owes his own lineage to Abraham. So there we have the descendant of Abraham, or at least the seed of Abraham in some sense, being attributed to Jesus. Jesus is obviously included into this massive worldwide family that is promised to Abraham. If Abraham is promised a family of human beings in whom all the earth is going to be blessed, then certainly Jesus, the Messiah, who is a Jew, is going to be one of those persons. So yes, it's kind of a both-and thing. It's that Jesus is the son of Abraham, and yet he is a member of the seed of Abraham. And Paul, actually, in Galatians chapter 3, is able to pull both of these threads together. So this is going to be our fourth and final point, Jesus as the seed of Abraham within Galatians. Now, we already noted in Romans that the primary way that Paul likes to describe the seed of Abraham is a reference to the multiple persons who are of the family of Abraham. It's a collective reference. We saw that in Romans. We saw that in 2 Corinthians. But in Galatians chapter 3, Paul has this very interesting, it's probably the right word to use it, an interesting argument in regard to this ambiguity with the word seed. Paul is, of course, well aware 
of this ambiguity. So in Galatians 3.16, it says that now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but to one, and to your seed. That is Christ. That's Galatians 3.16. So Paul here is playing on the fact that, of course, seed is a collective noun, but it could also refer to an individual. And he actually sees that Abraham has not promised multiple seeds in the sense of multiple families, but he's promised one, one particular seed, a singular seed, and he describes that as Christ. Now, is this an open-shut case that Paul has just kind of contradicted himself? He says that the seed of Abraham in Galatians 3.16 is to one particular person, to Christ, but in Romans and 2 Corinthians, clearly he thinks that the seed of Abraham refers to multiple individuals. I don't think it's as simple as that. Because he says that the seed is Christ. And part of Paul's understanding of Christ is that Christ is the Jewish king, the king who represents his people. So he is a single person, but he's a representative person of many other persons. That's why he says, and to your seed, that is Christ. Christ is the reference to the king who represents his people. And we can see this at the conclusion of Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29, where Paul says that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise, Galatians 3.29. So in both of those references, the word for seed is singular in the Greek. Paul says in Galatians 3.16, that the singular seed refers to Christ. And then in Galatians 3.29, the seed refers to those persons, multiple persons, who belong to Christ. They are Abraham's seed. And they are heirs according to the promise. Notice there that the connection to Christ as the one person who represents his people allows the singular seed to be represented by this second Adam figure, this representative messianic figure, Christ. And the seed can refer to both the representative individual, that is Jesus, and it can also refer to the persons that Jesus actually represents, the multiple persons. So the seed refers to a singular person in Galatians 3.16, but it refers to multiple persons in 3.29. But what we can say there is that Paul does understand the seed of Abraham messianically. And since Galatians predates Matthew and Luke, that would mean that Paul is the earliest New Testament writer to attribute unambiguous messianic status to the messianic promise regarding the seed of Abraham. And in doing so, he doesn't take away the fact that Abraham's seed does refer to a worldwide family that's defined by Abraham's faith. It's just that Jesus, the Messiah, the one who represents his people, is the one person who can represent all of those persons from the sense of atonement and Christology. But clearly, 
if Jesus is included among those persons, then Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, which indicates that he is a bona fide human being. He is a man, 100% human, a member of the human race. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we continue to look at Messianic prophecies in the Hebrew Bible, and we look at the passage dealing with the lion of the tribe of Judah, who is the royal king who is to descend from Judah's family tribe. So let's please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for free by subscribing on YouTube and iTunes, by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you would like to donate to help keep the podcast on the air, you can check out a link to PayPal in the description of this episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith. Until next time, please take care.